You are listening to Mosaic's Midweek Podcast. Through a series of personal reflections and stories, we share how the kingdom of God is breaking into our hearts and our city as it is in heaven. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to the Mosaic Midweek. This is Wes Mills here with Zeru. Zeru, what's up? What up, what up? So uh, this past week, we uh, talked about fasting in the context of prayer, the idea of praying with your body. And, you know, I kind of started off sort of talking about the skepticalness of prayer and just the fact that in general, we are all skeptics. And as I've, I've thought about it more and, you know, for me personally, I think over the last probably four or five years, uh, the journey of prayer has been that and has been a journey. And I think it probably will continue to be that. But I, I've thought about a lot of the question around why is prayer so intimidating? Uh, what is it that scares us? And, and especially those of us who have sort of grown up in an, a pretty academic yeah. setting uh, as it relates to the church. And that's great. Education is great. It's critical. Um, but when it comes to prayer, for some reason, for most of us, not everyone, but for a lot of us, it just feels like it's a false start. Um, so for you, how would you answer that question? Yeah, for me, I think one of the reasons why prayer is intimidating is because it doesn't, um, it doesn't really promise to cast out every fear we have. It's not like it's an antidote of stillness for anxiety, for a scary situation, like in our most vulnerable moments, it's not this immediate place of refuge that we idealize it to be. Mm-hmm. That, that can make it really intimidating because even though it, it, it can serve as that, as um, in, in form, like in our immediate moment, even though God is your refuge from enemies in moments of trouble, you're still being chased down by your enemies in those moments of prayer. You know what I mean? And so Jared Wilson actually calls prayer uh, expressed helplessness. And so that's another uh, mm-hmm. hint as to what makes it intimidating. We, we feel really helpless when we come to God in prayer. And we're hoping that that help will be immediately um, met, you know, and so whether that's like being stranded on an interstate with no cell reception or your bank account is totally flushed out or your body's in physical danger, the intimidation of prayer, it's, it's that it's not really a place to find satisfactory answers to help you, even though that is available at times. And so another intimidating aspect is like we're invited to believe that grace and mercy are obtainable in our time of need, and it's promised in Hebrews 4. And however that grace and mercy are, like, given to us is, like, we have to trust that God is good in that. And the reason why that's intimidating to me is because grace and mercy, again, aren't always accessibly felt in that moment of promise. Like, so the intimidation is not so much like, oh, man, like, this is a scary endeavor for me to try to do it's like, what's, what's the payoff going to be? Is it, is it going to result in um, something that made me feel like I was actually faithful? Does the answer provide me uh, a range of measurement to give me a barometer of determining, all right, uh, God, God heard me out, or 
is what is intimidating about it is that you, you, you send the prayer up and whether it feels like it's blocked or not, you believe it's reached God and that it was successful because you went to him and that's intimidating. Uh, yeah, the, the immediacy, the felt silence, uh, the exposed helplessness and the lack of strength we have um, in prayer mm. and believing that it's like God's love and nearness is what we need in those moments and that's what we're searching for and so the 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 lack the lack of feeling that is 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 really intimidating Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i agree i think that there is a it's either two two things i think when i think about the intimidation factor and one is that there is a we we've been disillusioned by disappointment so Either we have prayed, and at some level we have been disappointed uh, with a response from God, or something has we have requested something, we have asked for something, we've longed for something, we've we've yearned for something, and that something has not come to pass, right. or has not come to be like we have asked for it to, uh, and so we're just disappointed. And so, in some ways, there is a just a general fear. Um, or frustration, or maybe even bitterness right. um, towards the fact that we don't feel like God has responded in a way that met that longing. Right. Um, or the opposite, I think, is true, which is that we actually haven't ever tried right. praying. Right. Uh, and it's this, again, it's a, it's a journey when we're all on it, but there is something to be said for... Uh, trying uh trying to pray mm-hmm. um and the, the 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 fear that paralyzes us in the disappointment is the same fear that paralyzes us with the unknown right uh, which just is like i don't really know how to pray i don't know what to pray yeah uh and so it becomes this dance of, of dis- disappointment and uncertainty or right. on the unknown and then because a lot of us have been brought in, up in a very um, educational format as it relates to uh, spiritual formation and whatnot, uh, we just begin to ask a lot of questions that start with what if? Mm-hmm. What if this isn't God's will? Right. What, if, uh, what if I'm asking for the wrong thing? What if it, this is not how it's supposed to go down. What if he doesn't hear me? What if, what if, what if? Right. And it becomes, again, this sort of paralyzing question that we don't actually engage God with. But most of the yeah. time, I would argue that we don't, we may do it sometimes, but most of the time we don't do that with our earthly deaths. Right. Uh, we're not constantly asking, well, what if he says this, or what if he says this, or what if he says this? And so in there, because of, we, 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 we don't not engage him because of those questions, yeah. but we do that with the Lord, right, uh, right? which is a very interesting thing. And so we end up praying prayers that don't really disappoint us, and then, of course, they don't really surprise us. Yes. Uh, and so we can't be let down uh, because if we're let down, then that must mean that I have failed right. at something uh, or God has failed mm. at something. Uh, and so we can't have that. And so let's... Let's just disengage altogether. Right, which is what you said you're not interested in us doing as a church. Right. Which is which is which is like a great and intimidating call 
to all of us because when you invite people into a form of prayer that is not just uh, the kind that gives God the benefit of the doubt when he doesn't come through. Like, that's not what we see the psalmists doing. It's not like, you know, God, I felt like you were going to do it. It seemed like this was your promise and you didn't. But I must have miscalculated. Therefore, you're good in my mm-hmm. book. Like, no, like the type of prayers that break our hearts when things aren't made right. Or or in the sense, even even if we intellectualize or understand later, it wasn't made right in the way we wanted it to be. And God's st- hand was still on that. We don't have to theologize immediately. We can we can feel the weight of disappointment or the weight of surprise. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and if we avoid engaging God in prayer like that, that leaves us to the public eye um, as potentially like ridiculous or foolish as people, mm-hmm. um, if, if we refuse that, we will condition ourselves into continuing to be people who just give God the benefit of the doubt all the time. And he's not asking that from us. Mm-hmm. He, he wants our trust, but he, he's not asking for our defense or our ability to rationalize why he did or didn't do something what what he what he does invite us into is to approach him as right. as vulnerably as we need um and so which yeah. is why prayer is so much about intimacy right it's just, it's just a level of intimacy that uh, i think in some ways we probably have yet to tap into right um and and there is a great world of vulnerability and trust and openness with God to express some of the deep longings of our heart that we have stuffed Mm. uh, out of disappointment or fear or uncertainty. So, and I do think in general, there is a level, uh, not even a level, there's multiple levels of mystery when it comes to God, when it comes to prayer. Uh, So how comfortable are you with the mystery of God in prayer. <laughs> yeah, this is uh, me. My, my story is a little different because of the traditions I've been exposed to, right? So I grew up in an Ethiopian Pentecostal church and just grew up kind of like reading some books or watching sermons on TVN or what have mm-hmm. you that uh, the miraculous working God who hears his people's cries in prayer uh, are, are real, like in his mystery of uh, concocting things to kind of fit the realities we desired, whether it was prosperity or genuinely a uh, genuine desire for healing. At first I was like really privy to that. Uh, I, I remember reading uh, Matt Chandler has a book on Philippians specifically talking about um, suffering. And he tells a story about an evangelist that, kind of mentored him for a while and they and they went into a um they went into a subway and <laughs> the guy the guy asks uh, the guy who's mentoring him asks the um lady who's making the sandwich do you believe that uh this loaf you're giving me can turn into 500 <laughs> and the lady said not really and he says then you don't know my god you know what i'm saying mm. so it's this like and so matt's like as weird of an experience as that was it was good for him to be around mm. people like that and that kind of was my upbringing i'm not like saying i operated like that personally i i was not necessarily comfortable with um uh 
<laughs> approaching or experience the mysterious God as miracle worker or trying to manipulate reality. I'm not even saying that that's what that guy's desire was. I think he was genuinely trying to show that he believes God can mysteriously make that one, uh, like subway sandwich become 500 because Jesus did it. Like, you know what I'm saying? And that God can do anything. So for me, um, yeah, my comfortability with it has changed a little bit over time though. You know, the kind of, as I move to more, uh, American Protestant circles that just became less of what the conversation was. So I didn't have to think about it that much, which, um, in effect just causes you to be conditioned more from, uh, whether it's academic or theological or biblically based, uh, attentive approach to where my comfortability over time has kind of been a skepticism or a cynicism towards people who delight in the mystery of God, not just in that it's that the mystery of the gospel, which I'd be like, yeah, like Gentiles are invited in the family. Mm -hmm. They're like, no, there's more mysterious aspects to the way God relates with the world and, um, the, the, the human heart. So, yeah. Yeah. It is a, uh, I think there's one of two swings that as you as you age both physically but also just as people age in maturity in their in their walk um there there's sort of two streams that people can uh pursue or float right. down and one of them is the stream of jadedness right right <laughs> and one of them is the stream of wonder right uh, and so either you just get jaded at the idea that the, the, the that God is mysterious, that the world, quite frankly, is complex, right. and it just feels like a real sad song. Um, <laughs> yeah. Or you spark at the wonder of uh, the mystery of God and right. how it is, it is impossible to square and difficult um, to and impossible to box in. Right. Um, and I, I was thinking more. Uh, just about the, the the inclination that we have to want to round off every edge and right. to you know square every corner and and make sure that it all makes perfect sense to us right. uh, because if it doesn't then it feels like a house of cards where the whole thing just collapses because I can't rationalize everything right. about it uh, which I don't think if you were to read the Bible from cover to cover that. It's all that rational. Mm. Um, it, it's arguably the most irrational story of the world. Right. Uh, that, that God and his loving creation creates humanity who turns on him in a way that the only way that we can ever be reconciled with him is to is for him to come into our world right. and to actually give himself up for us. So it's a whole the whole thing is is wild, and we're going to end at a table with him. Right. Right. Uh, in in perfect intimacy, and so I think what's What's challenging uh, for a lot of people is reading the Bible and and feeling like there is a cognitive dissonance between uh, scriptures as it relates to engaging God in prayer. For example, you read passages like Jonah 3.10 that say, When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. So you have a whole people who end up turning to God, which then at some level, uh, whether foreknowledge or not, moves God's heart in such a way in which he 
withhold something right. that he said he was going to do to them. Right. Uh, and it would appear, at least on the page of Scripture and in the story, and many theologians have sort of theologized about this, right. that it was the prayer of the people that moved God's heart to yeah. withdraw. At the same time, you flip over a couple books and you read Malachi 3.6 that says, For I, the Lord, do not change. <laughs> right. <laughs> Pretty clear. Yeah. Uh, and so you're like, how do I reconcile these? And there's a hundred other examples where it feels like there is something uh, immovable about God. He is who he is uh, forever and ever. Right. And then our prayer means something to God. And so how do you square these things is the great question. Mm. Um, and we are not solving it here right, by any right, means, right. not on this <laughs> measly <laughs> old podcast. Uh, but I do think it's a it's a it's something to consider. Uh, do is there a reason why we do not pray, and how much of it has to do with personally? God doesn't care. The belief that God is disinterested in the affairs of the world, um, or that it even matters uh, that my prayers actually have the ability by God's grace with God's power to change things. Um, And so I kind of come back to Romans 11, 33, which is, oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and ways. Um, And if God was to be confined to a box and if it always made perfect sense, and if we had every question answered all the time, then he would not be a mysterious God. He would be uh, a very... Um, finite and limited God, but in fact, he is an infinite, mysterious God who is knowable. And that is where uh, it gets challenging for us. Yeah. Yeah. Because in that knowability, I've I've heard people say it this way. um, Even though we can't fully apprehend the knowledge of God, we can still comprehend him. So there still is a hiddenness there which is revealed in, right, the unsearchability of his knowledge. And the verse either goes on to say, or a different translation says, his ways are inscrutable, right? So, but we tend to try to scrutinize and interrogate the mystery of God because, and uh, I'm not, I'm not saying it's wrong to interrogate the text or the Bible or something, but when we, we were talking about this a couple of weeks ago, actually, when we interrogate the stories of the Bible and God's interactions with humanity as articulated through the scripture, uh, we have, we are the offspring of a post enlightenment way of thinking. So when you have this rigid biblicism that looks at facts and interrogates ancient near East stories through Western eyes and ideas and ideals that will dictate the way you understand the mystery of God. It, it, it'll be like, all right, well, here's, here's what mystery means. And it's like, that's not how the Israelites would have understood it. Or that's not how the Gentiles in this time would have understand it. They really believed and experienced God as one who could separate the sea. You know what I'm saying? We don't have to rationalize it or completely make it make sense for the material world in order to understand that God can still work in the material world. However, he chooses, even though we don't get to like dictate how that is. I think a rigid biblicism and a hermeneutic, a way of studying the Bible that is led by that, which isn't all, all bad. Like we've inherited good things from, I guess, the 1700s, 1800s ways of 
thinking. Uh, yeah, it, there's a lot I want to say about that. But yeah, it's it's interesting. Like when you realize what you're uh, coming out of, the kind of context you are reading the Bible through and understanding it and how it relates to the way you interact with God's mystery and even texts like, I do not change. And God changed his mind. Even in Exodus, there's a story. I, I forgot about this part. We always hear about Moses intercessing, interceding for the people for God to not kill them. But like in the story, God actually says, Hey Moses, don't ask, <laughs> don't ask for the people to be saved. Cause I won't do it. Mm-hmm. And God's like, Moses is like, no, I am going to ask, don't do it. Like, you know what I'm saying? And God changes his mind, even though he said he wouldn't change his mind. So these seeming contradictions, when you see them through a lens of a post enlightenment and, uh, present modern day like way of studying that has its benefits it's like you you can tend to miss out on the complexity and the craziness of the story regardless of how we solve the answer or the reason why that mystery exists is not as important as experiencing it and and understanding and believing it happened like you know what i'm saying moses experienced god as changing his mind that day because whether that's actually what happened in God's mind or not. Right. And right. So, yeah. Right. And I think that's the, that's the key, right? We want to sort of try and get into the intricacies and right. the details of how did it all go down and what is, what, it, how did it all play out? Right. And I think that's very, um, I actually think it's very unimportant. Right. Um, and it doesn't really matter uh, because the fact of the matter is we've been invited to enjoy intimacy with God in such a way that he has invited us into prayer uh, that is going to, through that, bring his kingdom to bear uh, on earth as it is in heaven. So I think the invitation for us is just that. It is just to to pray, to open ourselves up and to, uh, in some ways, intercede on behalf of other people because we do care for them and because we believe that God is highly invested and interested in their world. Yes. So, um, yeah, really excited for the next few weeks and months as we step into this fasting season, particularly focused on the theme of prayer. For Zeru, I'm Wes. We'll see you next time. See ya.